Today's episode is sponsored by Jonas Paul Eyewear. Stylish kids' glasses with an impact. Mercedes, I know you know about style and your babies are the coolest. You know it. So tell us how cute these glasses are. Okay, listen. It's so hard to find on-trend glasses for kids, and these are the cutest glasses I've seen. Yes. And have you ever used a home try-on kit for glasses? No, but it sounds super fun, and I feel like your kids get to play dress-up. We have Jonas Paul glasses, and this past year, Brooksy, my eight-year-old, needed glasses, so we got a home try-on kit from Jonas Paul. Brooksy loves looking good. He actually legit wore a bow tie all on his own for picture day. Having a kid at home was perfect for him. They sent us seven frames and he had a week to walk around in them and make his own opinion. And it was really nice to not have that quick, we have 10 minutes in a store and there's fluorescent lights and we need to decide feeling. When he picked his frame, we put our order in online and we shipped the box of trial glasses back with the free shipping label provided. Super easy. So you have Jonas Paul glasses at your house and you know what? So does Heather. Yeah, that's right. Mason has them. She's worn Jonas Paul glasses for a couple of years now. We all know that getting glasses to fit on our kids with Down syndrome can be difficult. There's a flatter nose bridge that our kids have and lower set ears and that can make getting glasses to fit a challenge. Here's the thing about Jonas Paul. Their nose pads are designed specifically for children's noses. They also have these unique adjustable tips that you can bend for a custom fit. So you can make it fit to your child's perfect little face. These glasses are so affordable. Half the price of most of the children's glasses out there. Plus, here's the best part. Every frame sold prevents childhood blindness in the developing world. It's so great. You know that Jonas Paul now sells glasses for teenagers and our kids are growing up. They're growing up fast and we are going to need those teenager sizes before we know it. For first time customers, Jonas Paul is offering 15% off. Use the promo code THELUCKYFEW at checkout. Visit their website, jonaspauleyewear.com to learn more. Hey friends, Heather here, and we have an exciting opportunity for you to join us as we continue this podcast and continue shifting the Down Center narrative. We have started a Patreon page, and this is a way for our listeners to support us financially every month so that we can keep the podcast going. We have three different tiers between $10 and $100, so wherever you feel you can give monthly to help us support the podcast and to continue to shout the worth people with Down Syndrome as we shift the Down Syndrome narrative, you can head over to the Lucky Few podcast.com sign up for our patreon page and start giving today thank you so much hey friends welcome to another episode of the lucky few podcast where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worst of people with down syndrome this is micah and heather and friends Mm -hmm. we are excited to sit down with a medical professional today um and not just a medical professional, but one of ACE's wonderful doctors in his life. Um, And I have come to appreciate her so much, Dr. Noemi Spinazzi. And she's going to answer all of our health and Down syndrome related questions, especially as we are in this season of COVID-19. And we know that so many of you out there are are full of questions and we are excited to share this information with you guys. So thanks for joining us, friends. Welcome to the Lucky Few podcast. All right, Micah, so we're missing Mercedes again. You guys, we're going to get our act together, but nobody has to have their act together in this season of life. That's right. It is grace upon grace upon grace. I tell myself that about my children every day. (laughs) Um, How are you? How's it going in the... I'm I'm making it. Everybody just be gentle with each other and kind to each other and just do good enough. That's, That's my... We're good enough living right now. 
good enough life. Yeah. I love it. So we're making it through good enough schooling and good enough eating mm-hmm. and good enough use of toilet paper or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> good enough learning off electronics. Um, yeah. Are you guys in school right now? Are your boys in school? Like they're supposed to be? Yeah. It's not spring break. Okay. No, next week is supposed to be Brooks's and Ace's spring breaks. Okay. Um, but August is the week after. So I'm going to, I'm trying to just clump it all together and keep, we've been on a good, uh, pat, like routine this week. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and keep it going next good week. Good for you. Good. So, but yeah, okay. August school is like hardcore. He has homework due every day. He has to like take pictures of it and send it in and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So Brooks's is a lot more easygoing and then aces i've just been trying to have make circle time happen ace and mom circle time every day i love it (laughs) Um, yeah i'm so curious so we're on spring break officially this week my kids are at different schools truly and the mason augie are just different school and they each get two weeks off but this is the week that overlaps so technically macy and augie were off last week and this week and truly is off this week and next week okay so we're letting this week be a little more relaxed um but um, next, so for Macy and Augie's school, next week, they, they're offering for the next two weeks optional, um, what's the word? It's not curriculum. Oh, gosh. It's like such online learning? Kind, kind of. of. Yes. That's not yeah. the word, but yeah, like optional. And then two, okay. after those two weeks, it's, we'll have whatever it's going to be. Okay. And then truly still on spring break next week. So I know what it's going to be, but yeah. I'm super curious. And I've had a lot of people ask me on social about IEPs uh-huh. and what are we going to do about IEPs in school? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're not in school. We're like nor- on normal spring break. So COVID hit all of this hit with our normal spring break. So I don't know, but yeah. I'm super curious how our district's going to unroll that because right. I mean, legally they have to provide services to our kids, but I'm not right. meeting with an OT, you know? Yeah. And this online stuff, I feel like because my kids need so much support with it. I can't, I don't know how you are with August, but like with Mason, um, who's the same age as August, I can't sit her in front of the computer sure. and she's going to do all the steps. She needs the support of me being there. And so what, I mean, what the heck? All of a sudden yeah. we're like full-time yeah. teachers, full-time parents. I have run a business. I have a podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are we going to do? Totally. <laughs> I think that's what all of us are feeling now. Right. Like, what in the right. world? And now I do OT, speech, and APE. Oh, yeah. I don't know about this, guys. No, no. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing. That's why we're just going to be good enough. We're going to survive. Yeah. yeah. And we're, you know, I, I was thinking this to myself. You know, would it be that bad if my sixth grader just repeats sixth grade next year and ACE doesn't go to kindergarten? No. No. We're fine. Let's fine. <laughs> Who cares? We're just surviving. And sometimes we say, who the bleep cares? And the bleep is a cuss word. Because sometimes we do. But not today. Not today. No explicits <laughs> here. Also, I'm going to mention this. We got a puppy. She's here with us right now. She, I'm going to have to go set her She's down beautiful. somewhere. She's not going to sit kindly or quietly. And that was a fun thing to do. We wanted a dog for so, 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 so long, but we go too much. We're a going family. We are not the family who sits home on a Saturday ever. And now we're home every Saturday. And so we're like, what if we did it? And our, my friend sent me a picture of this dog and we did it. And we are five days in, no regrets. Good. We love her so much. You hear her? She just whined a little bit. She's, do you hear it? She's so cute. <laughs> she sort of loves me. We're working on it. Anyway, her name is Maybe. And it's from Arrested Development is the show. Yeah. Um, I, there's a character named maybe he's not my favorite character. She's not like this amazing character to name something after, but I love the name. I think it's such a fun name for a human, but I wouldn't name a human that, but we named our dog maybe. So here we are with the puppy as well. And then it's like, now we have, now we have rules around the puppy and touching and picking up and all the things. And so now I'm a dog trainer, all of a sudden my roles (laughs) (laughs) expanding. So that's right. You know, when it, when it's just too much to school your children and run a business, get a dog too. And get a puppy. That's what I say. Yeah. Just I, know it was a, I know it was an interesting decision, but we're home. That was our thing. Like we yeah. have to be yeah. home to get a puppy who's going to be trained well enough that we can leave her with people when we leave. And she's not a little brat. 
So that's our goal. So far, she's sort of bratty, but she's so cute and she's, she's just cute little. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about health today and Down yeah. syndrome. And I'm excited about that. So I'm going to introduce you to our incredible guest who's so pretty. Um, we're looking at her right now. <laughs> to get a hair toss going on. So um, Dr. Spinazzi is a primary care physician at the U- UCSF, so the University of California, San Francisco Children's Hospital. She's also the medical director of Charlie's Clinic, a Down syndrome specific clinic, as well as the co-director of development and behavioral pediatrics resident rotations and an assistant professor at UCSF School of Medicine. Talk about a lot of tasks. She could for sure do OT, APE, speech, mothering, (laughs) dog training. I feel like she needs to just come on over. Um, So she's incredibly qualified, friends. This is quite a list of qualifications. And we are so, so grateful to have her on here, especially in this time. Um, because things are extra busy for the health healthcare professionals. So it's great to have a healthcare professional who's also a Down syndrome expert in that field. So welcome to the show, Dr. Spinazzi. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad you're here. I can't believe all those accomplishments. You look like you're 25. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Keep saying that. I'll pay you later. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes, we we love Dr. Spinazzi at our house, and she's been so, so supportive and wonderful in building the Down syndrome community in the Bay Area and um, supporting me and Ace personally as we have, as Ace is growing and, and we're learning more things about him. So we're, we're thankful for you and so happy you're here today. Yes. So thankful. Um, Okay. We're going to go right into it. And I know, yeah. yeah. So if you are on Patreon, then you're going to get our pre-conversation that will be on our Patreon page. And anyone can go right now and sign up for Patreon and hear this. But um, we were talking about, you were talking about how like, it'll be nice to not talk about COVID-19 for a minute, but we're going to start with that if that's okay. (laughs) Totally okay. Because I know that there's been a lot of information out there. There's actually been some really great podcasts that are, have been specific to Down syndrome um, that we will we'll link in our show notes. People have done really great episodes, but there is so much misinformation um, and so much unknown. And you even said that, that there's a lot of new information as of this morning. So what do we need to know having kids with Down syndrome and being in a world with COVID-19? What a good question. So... <laughs> Um, first of all, you're asking me this question on the right day, as today, uh, National Down Syndrome Society, Global Down Syndrome Foundation, the Down Syndrome Medical Interest Group, and LUMIND and NDSC have uh, released a 21-page um, document outlining what we need to know about Down Syndrome and uh, COVID-19, and this is a document that I have shared with you, and hopefully you can make available to your audience, and yes, of course, and of course, I've also shared it on our clinic's website. That said, um, the truth is that currently we do not have much information that is specific uh, to individuals with Down syndrome as it pertains to coronavirus. It appears that, like for anyone else, the risk is greater in older people than it is in young people. And uh, we do know that uh, COVID-19 affects people with pre-existing conditions uh, more severely. And of course, we know that individuals with Down syndrome are at, have a higher likelihood of having things like congenital heart disease or diabetes or uh, recurrent respiratory infections. So of course, we are on a bit of a higher alert for our population than we are for um, people without Down syndrome. Um, I want you to know that the Down syndrome medical uh, interest group, uh, DISMIG, uh, is sharing information with each other uh, from the ground, from the front lines, and we are trying to figure out how to formally track data to soon be able to provide more scientifically sound information about COVID and uh, Down syndrome. In general, I think it's important to adhere strictly uh, to social and physical isolation guidelines, so avoid gatherings, 
Only spend time with your immediate family unit that lives under your one roof. Uh, wash your hands frequently for 30 seconds with soap that foams. And you can do the, the um, uh, COVID uh, hand washing dance. <laughs> um, Ooh, I need to learn it. I haven't learned it yet. But you had some oh, good it's so fun. Yes, yes, yes. It's so fun. Okay. Um, I would redirect your child when they touch their face as, of course, we can have the virus on our hands and then touch our mouth, our nose, our eyes, which are, um, have a, a type of tissue called mucosa that can allow for the transmission of that virus. And then disinfect surfaces in uh, common areas more often than you're used to. What I would add is that, one, if your family member with Down syndrome has some of those conditions that increase one's risk of uh, becoming sicker with the virus. Like if someone has had congenital heart disease, but it's repaired and their heart is working fine, probably there isn't a lot of increased risk. Mm -hmm. But if your, your person with Down syndrome has heart failure or more severe heart problems, I would talk to your cardiologist as perhaps they might um, excuse a parent from working if they're working in what's considered mm -hmm. an essential service where they're still interfacing with a lot of people. They might have additional precautions on top of what's been told to everybody. And the other thing is, if your family member with Down syndrome is an adult living away from home, I would check in with them often. I would ensure that they have essential supplies like food, cleaning supplies, their medication refills, I would review with them what it means to socially isolate. Uh, one of the reasons I work with people with Down syndrome is that I love hugs. And at this time in our lives, uh, that is not the best way to greet people. So reviewing these things uh, over and over, as well as reviewing what to do if someone feels sick and what it means to feel sick and what we do depending on how severe our symptoms are. We have to remember that not everybody with Down syndrome can communicate uh, verbally. And so we also have to uh, perhaps think about uh, checking in a little bit more often just by actually looking at them and checking their temperature, maybe checking how fast they're breathing, um, just to be a little bit more mindful about what their symptoms might be. And then I'm gonna say something that it is difficult for me to mention, but as a doctor, I'd be remiss not to say, uh, parents should make a plan uh, for what to do if they were to get sick, you know? So if right now you're the primary caregiver and sole caregiver for your child, what happens if you get sick and you need to be in the hospital for a while? Um, do you have a plan um, uh, for who would take over and taking care of your kid and have you written out all of the things that you know in the back of your head that are necessary to take care of your kid. That's really good. That is good. There was a video that went around the last couple of days um, by, it was like a, a Skype session or a Zoom session with a Dr. Dave Price. Did you see this by chance, anyone? It went viral no. and he just did like, he's a um, ICU doctor in New York City at one of the one of the most whatever prestigious hospitals in New York. So he went on with like friends and family and did this big um, informational video. And it, I just saw it yesterday for the first time, but I'm, you haven't seen it so much to discuss it. I, but I'm curious. I feel like I'd actually love for both of you guys to watch it and then get back to me <laughs> because it's the first time that I felt less fear and more um, empowerment and being able mm -hmm. to take control of myself and my family and keep from getting sick. And so it was like, don't touch your face, wash your hands, stay in your social circles. And you don't need to live in fear if you're doing that. That's kind of his thing. You know, like yeah. if you're, if you're being cautious, like when you go to the grocery store, if you have to go to the grocery store, be aware every time you touch something, hand, sanitize your hands. He's like, be a Nazi about keeping your hands clean and don't touch your face and be smart and you're going to be fine. It, it was just kind of like, you can be in control of this. So yeah. does that feel accurate to you? Yeah. Yeah. And I, would, and I would say that um, what you just said is hugely important for another piece of it, which is we are talking about, you know, what, what could we be doing um, to make ourselves as healthy as possible? Well, when we are full of anxiety and we are caught in that loop of reading more and more 
um, scary stuff, anxiety, and uh, it's not helpful mm -hmm. for our immune system. Not sleeping is not helpful for our immune system. So we can do things like eating a healthy diet. And uh, I know I might talk about this later again, but eating a healthy diet, getting lots of sleep, getting some exercise, doing things that are good for our mental wellness are going to boost our immune system. Also, mm -hmm. our kids are watching. Yeah. Our kids are sensing how we're feeling. God knows our kids with Down syndrome are sensing how we're feeling. So to keep them well, we ourselves need to redirect this nervous energy to the being the kids' teachers, OT, APEs, dog trainers, everything else. And, <laughs> and, and deferring some of this obsessive reading about the data to doctors and other people who really do not have permission to stop reading about this. Um, so that you can focus on your incredibly difficult job of being so many things at once uh, without having to add the panic of coronavirus to it. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I, I love that. I think that that's so encouraging too, of that if we can step away from just consuming information all the time and take, I keep having to come back to this myself, like this is a moment of rest for our family. Like, I, and I know it's not a moment of rest for everyone, and we're going to ask you in a second, Dr. Spinazzi, about that, what it's like being a healthcare professional right now, but for those of us who are at home, um, it's like, what are we doing to embrace that time of rest, and, you know, if we're panicking and um, turning to our anxiety and can't get offline, then it's, um, that is, it's hurting us more than us taking yeah. this moment to to let it heal us and give us time away from regular life. Mm -hmm. so, so I do, I do have that question for you, Dr. Spinazzi, about what, what it's like for you right now, being a healthcare professional with COVID-19, um, how's your anxiety and what's, what's been asked of you right now? So I think that um, the answer to the question, what is it like for a healthcare provider, really depends on what type of healthcare provider you talk to. I am a pediatrician in a county that took precautions very early on, shut things down really early on, um, in a community that is being smart about uh, social distancing and uh, is truly flattening the curve. So our priorities right now have been to restructure our clinic work so that we are seeing only urgent patients that cannot be seen by a telehealth in person and young kids who just need to come in and get their shots. And meanwhile, boosting up uh, capacity that we never had before for telehealth. And uh, it sounds easy in theory, but in practice, it's completely different workflows. And our families need to learn how to use the technology too. So the past two weeks for me have been a lot about how do we keep people who come to our office safe, so separating sick and healthy, having much stronger screening over the phone um, so that we don't accidentally um, invite someone in um, who could be contagious uh, without properly protecting them and ourselves, having screening at the entrance to the clinic, masking people right away, not allowing more than one family member to bring the child into the office, all of this to decrease transmission, ensuring that we have the appropriate protective equipment so that we doctors not only can stay healthy so that we stay healthy, but also so that we don't inadvertently infect other people, right? So that whole piece of public health and writing ourselves while maintaining access for our patients and learning all of the technology. So that's been my experience. Uh, my sister is, uh, um, is in her residency in neurosurgery at Columbia Presbyterian in New York, wow. and uh, she's been redeployed to the adult intensive care unit, and her experience has been very different. So I think that it's because New York is seeing the mm -hmm. apex of the outbreak right now, not even, they haven't gotten to the um, maximum <laughs> of the outbreak quite yet, but she's having a very different experience. I think that what I can say, and I've been saying it to every patient at the end of my visits is, I wanna thank everybody who is staying home. Mm. I wanna thank everybody who's truly practicing social isolation because it feels like you're not doing anything, but in truth, you're mm. saving lives. 
because every person who's staying home and not getting sick and not getting sick and spreading it to other people is allowing for a healthcare system to prepare, increase capacity, and it's allowing us to retain the capacity to take care of everybody who will get sick mm -hmm. despite these precautions. So what is it like as a healthcare provider? Um, a bit anxiety provoking, um, mm -hmm. but also uh, empowering to see the response locally and nationally. I would say one other thing that I've been very busy doing is trying to gather resources. There's been an outburst of uh, resource sharing uh, to make sure that our families have access to food, to unemployment benefits, to um, all kinds of important, important things. Our immigrant community, um, uh, the federal government has stated that anybody who accesses uh, care for coronavirus, uh, even if they're using public benefits, it will not be considered a public charge, uh, which I know has been a hot topic right now for the immigrant community. And so my other focus in the past two weeks has been to collect all of these resources and put them on our clinic's website so that anybody can access them in a centralized place. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So grateful for you and the medical community at large. Very, very grateful. And and so thankful to to get that encouragement from you too that we are doing something by staying home because it does mm -hmm. feel like I wish I were helping I wish I was like contributing in some way and it's good to be reminded that being here and keeping ourselves from spreading or catching the virus is contributing. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there's and I think that there's a lot that the community can do to support us uh, right now. Um, including taking care of, so we as the doctors and healthcare providers are taking care of people who are sick as well as our own patients. But right now in this, in this crunch time, we might not have as much time to make sure that there's support for specific communities. So the Down syndrome community supporting itself, um, nor do we have the time to advocate within districts for uh, special ed services to continue to be provided. So this is a way to channel that and en that energy of I'm not doing anything. Right. Well, who can I call? Who can I support? Can I set up a little support group on Zoom so that we can debrief about how we're feeling? Can I call my district and say, hey, what is your plan for uh, our children who have IEPs and kind of turning that energy um, into that, including thinking about people within our community, our Down syndrome community, who might be more financially impacted right now and thinking, do they have food right now? Do they, are they gonna not be able to make rent? Is my city giving a rent moratorium for now so that people don't lose their housing at this time and advocating in that way? Because we as doctors and healthcare providers are so focused on the medicine piece right now mm -hmm. that we need the community to step up its advocacy for other things. That's great. That's great. Um, I have a couple more like small logistics that I need answered. <laughs> so eating out, um, eating taken, I should say takeout food. Is, do you think takeout food is safe? There is no evidence that coronavirus can be transmitted through food at this time. So at this time, it does not appear to be a foodborne illness. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what I would say is if you get takeout, uh, perhaps uh, wipe down the container that the takeout mm -hmm. uh, came into and then wash your hands afterwards. Okay. Um, maybe favor ordering hot food that you can, you know, nuke in the microwave one more time. And what I'm saying doesn't have sure. scientific evidence to back sure. it up. Okay. This is yeah. more like common sense. Stuff. Okay. So one of my other questions, because you're talking about like checking in on our community, making sure they have groceries, caring for them. What about cooking for people? Like if I make a bunch of banana bread and I want to deliver that to a neighbor, is that a bad idea or is that something we can do? I think that um, if you choose to cook for someone else, I, certainly I wouldn't cook for anybody if you're feeling sick. Yep. If you choose to cook for someone, um, I would make sure you're extra good about hand washing. I know that when I cook, I sometimes taste things as I go. I would stay away from doing that. Um, if you want to go the extra mile, you can be wearing a mask while you're doing it just so you're not accidentally um, spittling the food. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. um, and then again, I would probably pick something that is a uh, 
cooked and baked versus something that's super fresh just because the heat uh, definitely helps in uh, killing any sort of uh, viruses. I think it's okay to cook for people, but then when you bring it to them, you might want to bring it on their, leave it on their doorstep as opposed to what we usually do when we bring food to someone which is check in and touch base with each other and uh, maybe give each other a hug all the things yeah. that we're so used to doing because they're so ingrained in us we need to make sure we're not doing and do it by zoom instead or facetime okay and last thing sorry i thought it was done um do we need to wash our groceries when we get home like plastic bags or jars or things like that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci gave a great answer to that question uh, last night when Trevor Noah interviewed him. And so I'm going to repeat what he said, which is, uh, of course, there's a chance that someone who is infectious touched that grocery before you and that there could be a little bit of virus on it. And so if you want to be extremely careful, you could wipe down things, especially if you're going to be touching that grocery within the next three to four days as uh, it appears that the virus lives for about 24 hours on cardboard and up to three days on steel and plastic. But, it, but really, I would focus that cleaning energy on places that we all touch a lot, things mm -hmm. like doorknobs, uh, sink uh, knobs, our phone, because we're touching our phone a lot. Um, so you can go and clean as whatever you want. I am definitely being a little bit more careful, even with things like groceries, but I would think about the surfaces in our, in our common places as being the primary target of our disinfecting energy. Okay. That's really good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that information. Super yeah, helpful. That's great. Um, okay. Well, let's take a little um, turn in a different direction. We have reached out to our listeners and our listeners are mostly mothers of kids with Down syndrome. And a lot of those moms sent in some great questions about health and Down syndrome. Um, before we start asking you those questions, I, I think we would love to know if there are any like common myths or misunderstandings that maybe we as parents have um, about Down syndrome when it comes to health. Have you seen anything? Like yes. So um, I, as I was thinking about this question, I thought about a few things. Number one, I think a myth is that some people think that if it looks like your child, my child can hear me, then I don't need a hearing screen. Um, so that is a myth that I like to dispel in my work. Um, it's not just about a yes or no, can you hear me? It's how well you can hear me. Can you hear every letter in the alphabet? Can you hear every tone? Or are you mixing up Matt and Pat because the M and the P are kind of similar? Because that has a huge impact on understanding, on the clarity of our own language. So that is one myth I hear and dispel a lot. The other, another one is uh, if my child does not snore, they might not have sleep, they cannot have sleep apnea. Mm. That is also a myth. Uh, studies have shown that there is no parent questionnaire or um, any sort of symptom that consistently uh, can identify sleep apnea in a child with Down, in a person with Down syndrome. Um, I have followed kids who snore loudly and their sleep study shows no sleep apnea. And I've followed kids who are really quiet when they sleep and they have much more severe sleep apnea on their sleep study. So follow the guidelines of universal screening by age four and then and um, new guidelines are going to come out this year or next year from the American Academy of Pediatrics and Dr. Boll and the um, Committee on uh, Down Syndrome Healthcare Maintenance um, that might give us some more indications about how often we need to repeat a sleep study to continue to monitor. Because as our weight changes, our face structure changes, our uh, sleep patterns might also change. Another myth that I thought about is um, my child is doomed to be overweight or obese. It happens with the syndrome. There's nothing I can do. That is also a myth. Healthy nutrition and exercise um, uh, are hugely important in uh, managing um, weight in our uh, children. Another myth that I've heard a lot is that autism cannot exist in Down syndrome because kids are so social. Um, autism can occur in probably about 16% of our children with in individuals with Down syndrome. So that is also a myth. Two more. 
Um, one is, uh, my child will never be able to wear glasses, hearing aids, a CPAP mask. Also a myth with the right desensitization techniques and the right behavioral techniques. 99% of people can get used to these kinds of things that go on the face and the head. Um, you just need more support. And then the last one that I thought about, um, I know that there are some really good websites uh, that have health-related information on Down syndrome. And then there are some websites that have, frankly, kind of made up information. And uh, uh, one of the claims that I have seen is that kids with Down syndrome shouldn't be vaccinated. This is absolutely not based on any science. These claims are really dangerous. They expose our community to preventable disease. So it is absolutely a myth that children with Down syndrome have more side effects from vaccines. Please vaccinate your children. Love it. Good stuff. Yes. All right. So also we have a lot of listeners and our kid, my, both my kids have undergone open heart surgery and we know that that's a big one. Um, what are some of the other most common health challenges that people with Down syndrome face that we might not think about oft, as often as heart surgery or congenital heart defect? So the hearing is one. 50 to 75% of individuals with Down syndrome will have some hearing loss at some point in their lives, which is why we screen at six months of it after birth. We screen at six months of age, 12 months, and then every six months thereafter until we can get ear-specific information, at which point we do it yearly. Hearing can fluctuate. Someone without hearing loss could have some hearing loss when they're sick and congested. So hearing is such a huge piece. It affects language, it affects comprehension, it affects social sociability. Um, it can be, be, be misconstrued at cognitive decline later on in life when it's really just a change in hearing. Same with vision. Uh, about half of individuals with Down syndrome will need glasses at some point in their lives. Um, so keeping up to date with vision screens including an ophthalmologic evaluation by one year of age, looking for structural problems, and then routine checks once a year in the early years, and then every two years afterwards, uh, either by an ophthalmologist or an optometrist to check on the need for glasses. We do need uh, our blood work once a year. The thyroid is a gland in our neck that makes a hormone called the thyroid hormone that's really important for metabolism and growth, including brain development. So we need our thyroid checked once a year. Celiac disease, which is a true allergy to gluten, is also more common in people with Down syndrome. So these are um, important health challenges that we should consistently screen for. I just talked about sleep apnea, which is so common and so sneaky in our patient population. Weight management is hard. Um, and obesity is more common. And uh, I am a huge advocate of healthy nutrition throughout life. And then I want to give you a two that are not so talked about. One is the feet. So most kids do what's called hyperpronation. That is that the inside of their foot kind of turns in. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is not a really big deal at first, but over time, it really changes where the weight is put on the feet and therefore on the knees and on the hips. What we do know is that people with Down syndrome tend to need knee and hip replacements earlier on. Mm -hmm. And we don't know if uh, part of it is due to um, the lack of addressing um, the mechanics of walking early on. So I always look at everybody's feet and I support feet with uh, inserts so that we can get good arch support so that the weight is distributed evenly up the legs and the spine. The other one that I like to talk about is the skin. So there are several dermatologic uh, skin things that can happen with Down syndrome. And that you need to make sure that um, when the doctor checks your kid, they're checking their whole skin because um, uh, there could be things like uh, uh, Patches that lose the color of the skin, that's called vitiligo, that need to be addressed. Patches of hair loss, that's called alopecia, that need to be addressed. Little pimples, especially under the armpits and in the private area, that might start showing up in the teenage years and puberty years, that could be thought of as boils, but might actually be a different kind of condition called hydrogenitis. 
and many other things related to the skin. And um, sometimes we're focusing on so many other things that we forget um, about that. Of course, there are other things that can happen um, that are perhaps less common. And that's a whole talk in and of itself that I'm happy to come and give at any point on your podcast. Yay, we're going to have you back over and over and over. Just me, every, every medical question will go deep. <laughs> like um, once a week with my yeah, kids in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so you mentioned ear problems. We had a listener who wrote in about her child um, who has, has been hospitalized with pneumonia and ear infections many times. Um, can you give us like a little bit of insight on like what what can we be doing to to help our kids who tend to you know we have several I know several people in the Down syndrome community whose kids get pneumonia every year is there anything we can do to help build up their immunities or help protect them what a good question so first of all we have to think about why so number one the face of someone with down syndrome is structured a little bit differently there's a lot of crowding a big los angeles style traffic jam uh, <laughs> in that middle of the face and so when stuff sits there it can just either get infected more easily so if there's always a little bit of fluid in the ears it can get infected more easily or it can look like it's bacterial sinusitis, but really is just that congestion that's just mm -hmm. sitting there and not going away. Um, so recognizing that the anatomic piece um, has some things that we can do about it, like ear tubes for recurrent ear infections, and some things that we cannot necessarily go in and change, but doing things like trying nasal rinses to clear things out could be helpful, um, as well as following with an ear, nose, and throat doctor. The immune system of people with Down syndrome is a little bit different, and many people are a little bit more predisposed to developing things like ear infections and respiratory tract infections because the immune system doesn't work quite the same. It's not a true immune deficiency, but it is a relative immune difficulty. Um, and hand washing, um, avoiding touching our face, all of the things that we're learning so much during coronavirus season um, are, are very important. Um, vitamin D has a strong role in immunity. So I check my patient's vitamin D levels routinely, and I recommend supplementation to optimal levels. Um, a healthy and varied nutrition will provide adequate zinc and vitamin C. Um, and uh, otherwise, as far as other supplements, there isn't enough scientific evidence behind them. What I tell families is uh, make sure you don't overdose on vitamin supplements, make sure you don't break the wallet with supplements, mm. and definitely talk to your doctor about what you're taking to make sure it doesn't interact with other medications. When it comes to pneumonia, I do wanna mention that a good percentage of our patients accidentally swallow some of their liquids into their lungs. It's called mm -hmm. aspiration. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's another kind of under-recognized condition in people with Down syndrome. So I tend to be quite quick to refer to a feeding therapist who can be an occupational therapist or a speech therapist to properly evaluate the swallowing mechanism of someone with Down syndrome who's getting pneumonia a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, even a swallow study, which is where they put a little bit of a dye in what you're drinking to see where it ends up. And the treatments for aspiration can vary from thickening the liquids that we drink to therapy to strengthen the muscles in the mouth. Sometimes we're not safe to drink by mouth at all. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just so important because pneumonia is one of the really uh, tricky things for people with Down syndrome. So being really good about evaluating the swallow mechanism is really important. On the vitamin piece, with vitamin D and vitamin C, if we just follow the label for our kids' age, is that like those are hard to overdose on, right? Those two? Right. On the other hand, there are many supplements that have wonderful claims like speech supplement or yeah. brain strength supplement, right? And uh, parents who are trying to do the best for their kids 
might feel like the more the better. And uh, there have been reports in the scientific literatures about overdose of vitamins from taking too many supplements that have too much of the same thing, which is why when one of my patients um, is taking supplements, I say, great, bring them in, show me the labels, let's make sure we're not taking too much of anything, let's make sure we're not taking anything that could interfere with the medications that you're taking for other things. Recognizing that lack of scientific evidence doesn't mean lack of effectiveness, not all not everything has been studied as rigorously, rigorously as it needs to, especially in the Down syndrome population. So trying to be safe and doing a lot of risk reduction. Also noticing that part of risk is spending way too much money on things yeah. that don't necessarily have the effect that is being claimed. Mm -hmm. On the um, idea of speech, we had another question from somebody and they, the listener wanted to know, so for children with Down syndrome who are either considered nonverbal or who are not yet verbal, um, it, do you see that this is always going to be the case? Or is this something that we say this child is nonverbal, they will never speak? Or do you see that changing? If so, at what age or at what stage in life could a nonverbal person with Down syndrome become verbal? Okay. So to answer your question, I'm going to take a step back. When we think about acquiring speech, we have to th make sure that one, we can hear well. So rule out a hearing problem, because if you're nonverbal because you cannot hear and then you address the hearing, then that can address the root cause. Make sure the vision's on board as well. Vision is not quite as crucial to learning to talk, but there is some, some, there are so many visual cues that are also important. When we think about speech development, there are many pieces to it. One is the articulation, making sure that the sounds sound exactly the way they're supposed to. When that doesn't happen, it's called dysarthria. So what could cause dysarthria in someone with Down syndrome? Well, the mouth is smaller, the palate is more high arched, the tongue is a little bit bigger than the space afforded in the mouth, there's lower tone in the muscles. So there's a lot of things that could cause the speech to be not so clear. Then there's motor planning. I'm thinking about what word I want to say in my head, and then I have to know exactly how to move my lips, my tongue, everything around it for the word to come out right. And that motor planning piece can be affected, and it's called verbal apraxia, and it's really common in people with Down syndrome. And so making sure that the person who's working with your kid with speech is, knows about verbal apraxia and is using techniques to address it, to screen for it and address it. Then there's just speech development in general, right? So if cognitively you are at a 12-month level and you're saying two to three words, then your speech development is on board with your cognitive level because at 12 months we're supposed to say, you know, just a couple of words. If your cognitive development is that of a five or six-year-old, but your speech development is at a 12-month-old level, then you got to go and look for other causes for it. And one of the big things that we need to look for is, is there a superimposed diagnosis of autism that we have not recognized? Because then we got to address the autism piece to be able to support language. And then the other piece to your answer is not all communication is speech, right? So I'm an when people bring their beautiful newborn babies in my office, soon after telling them, congratulations, your baby's absolutely gorgeous, I want to eat their cheeks, um, what I tell them is we got to give them the greatest gift that a parent can give to their kids, which is communication. So you better start learning some sign because gestural communication is very, very effective and can be acquired before verbal language in a lot of people with Down syndrome. And then later on, we better start putting around lots of visuals so that if you cannot produce the word, you can at least point to what you're trying to express. And then you should be evaluated for augmentative and alternative communication, either by a speech therapist or through the district or both to make sure that you have access to what's called total communication. So to answer your question, can a child who's nonverbal ever learn to express themselves verbally? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. Who am I to say yes or not, right? <laughs> right. And that's always what I'm going to say to everybody. I yeah. believe in, in people's unlimited potential. Um, 
And if your child is not verbal, then sure, continue to encourage verbal communication, but begin to also focus a lot of effort on the other forms of communication, because regardless of whether they're expressing it or not, they have a lot of things that they want to say, and we need to help them get it out. Mm. Great answer. Yes, great. <laughs> um, I feel like we have, we, our listeners have sent in so many questions. I, I know that we can't touch them all today. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back um, to ask you more. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to, to ask, and Heather, you can jump in if you have any more questions that you want to ask too, is just a general question. Um, just what, uh, let's see, what are best practices, essentially, to ensure the long-term health of our kids? Um, what, are, what are tips, especially for those of us who have younger kids? You know, I think a lot of our listeners, um, their kids are age 10 and under with Down syndrome. Um, what can we be doing right now to ensure their long-term health. And I know you mentioned some really great things like, you know, are they, are our kids wearing inserts? Are we thinking about their feet in terms of like long-term and how it's affecting their hips in the future and all of those things? Is there anything else that we should be, um, be thinking about in our daily lives? So th what a good question. I'm gonna start by saying you absolutely need that long-term view your kid is going to grow into an old fart, okay? <laughs> so, so you cannot be focusing on how they're doing when they're little kids. You've got to have that long-term perspective. So establish good dietary habits. And not just you forcing veggies on your kids. Empower your kid to build a plate that includes fruits and veggies, to choose water over sugary beverages. Um, so thinking about how do I establish that really healthy dietary um, choices uh, that are going to promote long-term health. Establish healthy patterns of exercise. Uh, there's really interesting data from exercise labs that show that physical activity decreases the risk of chronic disease and increases the likelihood of better cognition and independence and mental health in older adults with intellectual disabilities. Uh, people with Down syndrome have a different physiologic response to exercise. It might feel more tiring to exercise, so it's not laziness if they don't jump up to do it. But there are ways to make it sound like it was their idea. Uh, <laughs> dance, dance is one huge key to exercise. Uh, Zumba is one of my favorite exercise types, as is dance of all kinds. Um, and uh, building endurance, right? So you cannot expect... Uh, someone to go from zero to a hundred, um, but build endurance, make it a habit. Don't expect them to do it by themselves. Join in, make it a family activity. Uh, maximize good sleep. So this includes um, sleep hygiene, which means that screens out of the bedroom, a bedtime routine, stable bedtime and uh, wake up time, but also screening for things like obstructive sleep apnea that can affect the quality of sleep and intervening on it. Infection prevention, we've talked a lot about this, hand washing, vaccination. And then keeping up with routine screenings, thyroid testing, hearing screens, vision screens. These can decline over time and can be misconstrued as a cognitive decline. Um, those, those are things that I think are completely within everybody's reach um, that really do maximize long-term health. And then the other thing that I say to every parent I ask, oh, can they do this by themselves yet? No. Why? Is it that they really can, have not acquired their skill? Or is it that we've jumped in because we're in a rush or we want to help um, and that really they could do it on their own? Because it, being independent is so, so important for long-term health. It's abuse prevention because if mm -hmm. we know how to do all of our toileting and uh, hygiene by ourselves, then we're not as desensitized to someone being in the bathroom with us when we're un undressed. Um, so promoting independence is the other huge piece. And then thirdly, promote mental health. So we live in a frenetic word, a world where everything is just constantly on and 
anxiety provoking. So can we as a family develop some habits that are proven to promote mental health? Uh, whether it's some mindfulness meditation that we all do, a little bit of yoga, some gratitude exercises where we stop and recognize that we're grateful for the things that we have. Um, deep breathing, as I mentioned, mindfulness meditation can really decrease our fight or flight response and promote wellness. Giving emotion words to our kids and then uh, practicing talking about how we're feeling so that we recognize what those feelings are on the inside. I think that these are all strategies that are within everybody's reach that can really make an impact on someone's long-term health. There it is, friends. I know I, yeah. I want to talk so much longer I'm on dancing. Mason yesterday danced. I'm not joking for four hours straight in her room. And <laughs> I just kept thinking like, surely I'm neglectful. Like we've, we need to play a game or something, you know, but these are also strange times. But by the time I came in towards the end, she was then sitting and like rocking. I'm like, yeah, babe, you must be exhausted. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, all right, friends, we have so many more questions. So we're going to have to have you back if you, if you wouldn't mind coming back sometime. But thank you so much, Dr. Spinazzi, for being with us today. We really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you yeah. for inviting me. And I'm happy to come back whenever you want me to. Yay. We appreciate that. And all the medical people who are listening in this crazy day and age we're just so grateful for you and we i know in my home we are a praying family we pray for you and protection and endurance every day and our hearts are just so full of gratitude for the work that the medical community is doing right now so thank you yeah. thank you yeah thank you so much and well go ahead heather you go ahead micah <laughs> Well, we are going to take a quick break. We are going to hear from our family of the week and our sponsor. So come right back, friends. Today's episode is sponsored by Jonas Paul Eyewear. Stylish kids glasses with an impact. Mercedes, I know you know about style and your babies are the coolest. You know it. So tell us how cute these glasses are. Okay, listen, it's so hard to find on-trend glasses for kids, and these are the cutest glasses I've seen. Yes, and have you ever used a home try-on kit for glasses? No, but it sounds super fun, and I feel like your kids get to play dress-up. We have Jonas Paul glasses, and this past year, Brooksy, my eight-year-old, needed glasses, so we got a home try-on kit from Jonas Paul. Brooksy loves looking good. He actually legit wore a bow tie all on his own for picture day. Having a kid at home was perfect for him. They sent us seven frames and he had a week to walk around in them and make his own opinion. And it was really nice to not have that quick, we have 10 minutes in a store and there's fluorescent lights and we need to decide feeling. When he picked his frame, we put our order in online and we shipped the box of trial glasses back with the free shipping label provided. Super easy. So you have Jonas Paul glasses at your house and you know what? So does Heather. Yeah, that's right. Mason has them. She's worn Jonas Paul glasses for a couple of years now. We all know that getting glasses to fit on our kids with Down syndrome can be difficult. There's a flatter nose bridge that our kids have and lower set ears and that can make getting glasses to fit a challenge. Here's the thing about Jonas Paul. Their nose pads are designed specifically for children's noses. They also have these unique adjustable tips that you can bend for a custom fit. So you can make it fit to your child's perfect little face. These glasses are so affordable. Half the price of most of the children's glasses out there. Plus, here's the best part. Every frame sold prevents childhood blindness in the developing world. It's so great. You know that Jonas Paul now sells glasses for teenagers and our kids are growing up. They're growing up fast and we are going to need those teenager sizes before we know it for first time customers jonas paul is offering 15 percent off use the promo code the lucky few at checkout visit their website jonaspauleyewear.com to learn more Hey friends, Micah here. Now I know you know it is no small feat to pull this podcast off every week. And we are always looking for support from sponsors. And we've gotten to a point where we would love to include you, our listeners as well. 
So we're starting something new around here. It's called Patreon. And we have some tiers where you could choose to join us by supporting us financially in whatever way makes the most sense for you. So from $10 to $100 a month, you could be part of the Lucky Few podcast and make it happen every week along with us. We have some fun perks. We have some fun opportunities coming for those of you who decide you want to jump on this boat. And we can't wait to share more with you. If you are interested at all, go to our website, theluckyfewpodcast.com, click on Patreon, and check out how you can support us. Continue to be narrative shifters and shouters of worth in this Down Syndrome space. Thanks, friends. and my Paige Whiting and my Instagram name is Whiting 9 and my loved one with Down Syndrome her name is Jaya Whiting and she is six years old but on Tuesday next week she will be seven and um, she is an amazing addition to our family she is our oldest she has two little sisters one who is five tomorrow and one who just turned two and Jaya leads the pack. Um, she, my good news is that um, in this time of unrest and um, just like pandemonium around um, the, the world right now, um, we have our, her home all day long from kindergarten. Um, she is in a fully inclusive kindergarten class. And um, I have had actually a very difficult year with um, her kindergarten teacher and her special ed department and different things like that, getting um, just clear communication about what she's actually learning. I feel like they're not giving me the um, information that I want. And, um, and so I don't really know what's always going on in her classroom. But yesterday, as we have been homeschooling now, today is day 10, um, we... Um, we're working on her sight words, and she knew how to read four of her ten sight words for this week uh, that the teacher, like, gave us. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she knows how to read those sight words. And I, I, was, I had no idea she knew how to do that. She also um, could tell me all um, red, yellow, green, and blue, those colors, with about 90% accuracy as we were doing this one um, project that I had for her. Um, and she was also um, recognizing numbers. We were playing a matching numbers game, and she was recognizing her numbers. And these are all things that had we not had her homeschooled that I wouldn't know that she actually knew how to do. And um, the doctors told us that she wouldn't walk and she wouldn't talk, and she um, had cerebral palsy, and, and which she doesn't and that she would just not be able to do a lot of things and she has just continued to beat the odds and be amazing so thank you um lucky few podcast um for being such an amazing um narrative shifters and helping us shout the worth of our kids um with down syndrome and how amazing they are and how they make our world a much better place thank you so much All right, big, big thanks to our family of the week. And as always, friends, we want to hear from your family. So leave us a voicemail at 424-442-9147 and share your good news about your loved one with Down syndrome and how they make your family that much sweeter. We are. We also want you to know that if you have a product or a business that wants to help us shout the worth of people with Down syndrome, we would love to partner with you. You can email hello at theluckyfewpodcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. And as always, a huge thank you to our editor and producer, Andy Laura, to our co-producer, Val Schleter, to our sponsor, to 
all of you who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends who have listened faithfully and have cheered us on. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on our podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, find ways to support your healthcare provider right now. And once again, we just shouted out big thanks to all of the healthcare providers out there who are doing the good work right now. And thanks again to Dr. Spinazzi for being here. We want to remind you, dear listeners, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome. You are a shouter of worth and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. We will see you next week on the Lucky Few Podcast. We will wash your hands. Wash your hands. (laughs) Sing the song. Sing the COVID song. I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. (laughs) All right. Bye, friends. friends. See you next week. Learn more about Charlie's Clinic at charliesclinic.org and follow them on Instagram at Oakland Down Syndrome Clinic. Thanks for listening to Lucky Few Podcasts. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. You can also support the show now via anchor.fm just by going to the website, scroll down to the bottom, and you can begin your support right now. Lastly, send us your good news by going to theluckyfewpodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time.